Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., And I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something strange is going on. Who is killing Russian billionaires? Another Russian oligarch has been found dead. Reports suggest that he hanged himself, fell out of a window, slashed his wrists, was poisoned, murdered his whole family. Last year, more than a dozen Russian oligarchs died in the space of nine months. Many of the deaths are suspicious with links to the Kremlin. This is Sad Oligarch, an investigation into these recently dead Russian billionaires. It's created by me, Jake Hanrahan, and my colleague, Sergei Slipchenko. Sad Oligarch is a H11 production for Kuzo Media and iHeartRadio. We all know about the vague stereotype that Russians love to drink a lot. Russians have long been depicted in Western entertainment as crazed, drunk caricatures who can drink litres of vodka without issue. Now, Russia, of course, does have a big drinking culture, as does many other countries, my own included, trust me. It's a shallow reflection of a country's fabric to simply rely on these played-out stereotypes. That said, this oligarch death is one that sounds like a plot to an exploitative Hollywood film. There's heavy drinking, shamanic rituals, and a dead Russian billionaire with links to one of the largest oil and gas companies in Russia. That company, Luke Oil, is very friendly with the Kremlin. This is the strange death of Alexander Sobotchin. 
On May 8, 2022, 43-year-old Alexander Sabotchin woke up with a particularly bad hangover. You probably know the kind. Mouth like a desert, eyes sensitive, head splitting into the lot. Sabotchin had been up the night before drinking heavily. Sources suggest that this had been one night of many. Sabotchin had been on a drinking spree, downing large amounts of alcohol for many days in a row. Heavy drinking had become a problem for him. It wasn't just a celebration, a night out or a one-off. With a head full of drink and stuff to do, Sabotchin sought out an unconventional hangover cure. Your average drinker might double up on a baraka or hit the sauna, but not Sabotchin. He was extremely wealthy, so he paid to see a shaman. As unusual as that might sound to some, the belief in shamanism is something not entirely unheard of in Russia, especially not amongst the country's elite. Sergi explains. In Russia, the occult kind of came up as an answer to kind of all the cases been going on. There has been a lot of turmoil in Russia. Basically, the past 100 years had three major changes from imperial uh, Russia to communism and then now to whatever this is people turn towards this it's like superstition and things like that and then like shamanism specifically came from kind of the intermingling of cultures you know there's a lot of um, tribes in eastern eastern northern russia where this is just their way of life for a long long time and it kind of got i guess adopted by western russians into something more like mysticism you know looking for an answer looking for alternative ways they seek healing, they kind of seek an answer of like a more spiritual answer. And basically the Russian elite, um, they see this as like covering all bases. And those who can afford it, they get private sessions, they get private uh, seances. This is not exactly new. If you look at the last couple of years of Imperial Russia, I think most people know some aspect of the whole Rasputin story, where the Tsar's wife was seeking basically any cure for for their son, who I forget the name of the disease, but basically if, if he bled or something, he couldn't stop. Like he would bleed out to death. Seemingly the only answer they could find was whatever Rasputin did. As far as people could tell, he was some kind of mystic, um, almost wizard person, right? And they really believed that, like they really bought into that. And that kind of stuck around when there's so much like turmoil, so much shit going on, you just kind of turn to other explanations, you know, the only thing that you kind of think can help or save you. You, you can't trust the government, you can't really trust uh, the like regular institutions, you turn to whatever might be that gave you that hope or that answer to your questions. But you see this on, a, on like certain levels, you know, you see celebrities, you see um, oligarchs and other kind of like up there. Uh, people who they definitely use their services, their friends with them. You know, they have uh, they literally have like celebrity shamans or celebrity mystics. You know, one of the like prime time reality TV is uh, Battle of the Psychics, um, and it's essentially like I don't know. It's like a <laughs> it's kind of hard to explain without seeing it. It's basically like who's the best psychic, and they have different challenges. They try to figure out murder mysteries. They try to, well, I mean, according to them, they talk, they do solve murder mysteries. They speak with the dead and such, and somehow they compete for whoever's the best. It's popular stuff. Like 
people watch this, um, I'm sure a lot of people are skeptical or kind of see it as like a fun kind of dumb show to watch. But I think a lot of people do kind of, um, if they don't believe it, they're kind of on the side where like, you know what, who knows, maybe um, enough to the point where it is relevant in society. Uh, people do get readings, people go, um, like like regular people go for readings and stuff, right? And then if you can afford it, you can have a celebrity shaman come and give you uh, some kind of seance to get your hangover cured. And I just guess this time it uh, kind of showed that they these shamans might not exactly be, you know, experts, but maybe grifters who don't exactly know what they're doing and get you killed. A revival of shamanism in Russia is something that became particularly popular in Siberia, the large desolate region in the country's east. Journalist Jason Mater wrote about this in 2015. He said, quote, The collapse of the Soviet Union heralded a religious revival throughout Russia. Perhaps unexpectedly, shamanism has achieved newfound popularity, not just in its traditional homeland, but also across Russia and beyond. Although the Tenjer belief, a type of shamanism, is originally a practice of the ethnic Buryats who have historically inhabited Siberia, many of the visitors to the temple and some of its shamans are ethnic Russians. End quote. This journalist was actually present at one of the more traditional shamanic rituals. He describes two shamans stood on one side of the room wearing bright blue robes with hats that cover their eyes. Some shamans believe that spirits are afraid to look into the eyes of a human being. The shamans beat drums and chant frantically. On the other side of the room, ritual participants are guided on what movements to make and what phrases to say to follow the rules of the ritual. In this type of shamanism, no type of elixir or medicine is consumed or administered. That's not always the case though. The head of the shaman center in Irkutsk, Vitaly Baltaev, has spoken about a rise in Russia of what he calls neo-shamanism. Neo-shamanism is basically an amalgamation of various different ancient shamanic practices repurposed for people interested in new age type religions. These ones often involve various mixtures and intoxicants that have to be consumed by the person having the ritual performed on them. This is the kind of ritual Alexander Sobotchin was involved in before he died. Dad, the dress, 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time, and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. 
Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in the Jinx. Now the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In May 2022, Sabotchin sought out the shamanic services of Tino Cordoba and Magua Flores, also known by their real names, Christina Tikrub and Alexi Pinjurin, respectively. These two are self-proclaimed shamans in Russia. They're most definitely more involved in the new age bracket of this practice. Before this incident where Sabotchin died, the two shamans had a pretty sleek media presence. Online, there are several professional photos of the pair, both white, in their shaman getup. One image shows Christina T. Krub dressed in a long-patterned robe with a Native American-style headdress made of white feathers. Next to her stands Alexi Pinjurin, dressed in a diamond-patterned robe with a turquoise and red fez-shaped hat. A black feather is placed into the top of the hat and Pinjurin is hitting a large rawhide drum with a wooden club. Honestly, it looks like they're playing dress-up. It doesn't help that Pinjurin can be seen wearing a black hoodie under his shamanic robe. Either way, the pair took shamanism very seriously on the outside and they made money out of it. They put in a lot of effort to form their shamanic brand. For example, Pinjurin's now defunct YouTube channel under his pseudonym Magua Flores has a well-produced 10-minute long video where he performs a ritual with a more traditional shaman. 
It has over 10,000 views. The only other public release on the channel is a very weird cringe music video which admittedly shows the popularity of the couple. Many different scenes play out with dozens and dozens of people, all of them western in appearance, attending Tikrub and Pandurin's shamanic rituals. On their now abandoned Instagram account, they have a photo in a recording studio with Nikita Jigorda. He is also in that music video. Jigorda, 62, is a Ukrainian-born actor and singer. He stays in Russia where he's famous. Jigorda is pro-Putin and has publicly celebrated the Russian invasion of Ukraine with particularly bare-faced bloodlust. There are even videos on his Instagram account where he's in Zaporizhia in Ukraine with Russian forces. He's cheering them on to his 340,000 followers. He's dressed in full military fatigues and is throwing his hands up in the air with joy as mortars are fired off with the aim of striking Ukrainian forces who are defending their lands. In the caption, he condemns Ukraine and he says that he's been performing occult rituals on the front line to help the occupying Russian forces. Weird. Needless to say, the self-proclaimed shamans Tikrub and Pinjurin have been operating in some strange circles in Russia for years now. They've also been offering their services to anyone who can afford it. In 2022, Alexander Sabochin took part in these services. In the midst of a one-on-one -on -one ceremony in the basement of the shaman's home, presumably with incense in the air, several burning candles and a beaded hat placed on his head, he had toad venom put into his bloodstream via an incision made into his skin. This was administered by Tikrub and Pinjurin. Alexander Sabochin then had a heart attack. The shamans tried to treat him with valerian, a herb. Sabochin soon died of cardiac arrest. Whilst the full autopsy isn't public, it's presumed that the toad venom is what caused the heart attack. According to the National Capital Poison Center, an organization dedicated to preventing poisonings, some of the toxins in toad venom, such as digoxin, tryptamines, and tetrodotoxin, can cause irregular heart rhythms, dizziness, paralysis and heart attack. This is what the two shamans injected into the skin of Alexander Sabochin to try and treat his alcohol problems after he'd been on a long bender of drinking alcohol. I spoke to scientist and researcher Jovana Maxic about the kind of shamanism Tikrub and Pinjurin were involved in. She has knowledge on these kinds of practices with an anthropological background in similar communities. From what I gathered, their type of shamanism seems to be kind of a syncretic mix of already existing traditions. But weirdly, there were not any kind of indigenous or Slavic practices that you would find in Russia today. There were actually a mixture of Afro-Caribbean and South American practices. So, for example, the specific uh, toad venom ritual comes from the Amazon. So these people have seemed to really use these mostly South American traditions in their 
shamanic practices. Shaman Magua Flores, his real name being Alexei Pindurin, and his wife, Tina Cordova, or Christina Teikrib. It seems like these people have been running a kind of open house specifically for rich, wealthy Moscovites to come and sort of indulge in these black magic rituals and drugs. According to a famous makeup artist who actually got involved in a very negative way with this shamanic couple, she said that the, in their house, they have a basement where they practice black magic rituals. And here they keep animal blood, live animals that they kill and then use for different sorts of rituals, but also enough psychotropic substances and drugs to send somebody to prison for 20 years. Remember at the start when I said this case sounds like a bad Hollywood movie? Well, this is where the black magic comes in. Whilst it might sound over the top or hard to believe for some, occultism has been making a steady revival all across the world for the last decade. Even the practice of so-called black magic, often linked to left-hand path occultism. In fact, in Russia in 2021, a couple who believed heavily in the occult were arrested and charged for committing several human sacrifices. Real ones. Olga Bolshakova and Andrei Trujabenko stabbed several people to death in the forest as part of their twisted beliefs. The murders occurred in 2016, but were kept hidden for five years. It's believed many other people were involved in the couple's occult group. Currently, they're awaiting trial. So, whilst this story about the neo-shamans Tekrub and Pinjurin having a basement for black magic might sound absolutely mental, it's actually quite plausible. Remember, the two were pictured with that actor Nikita Jagorda, who openly talks about performing occult rituals. He also has a black sun tattoo on his right elbow. The black sun symbolizes esoteric fascism and dark occultism. Anyway, let's hear what else Yovana Maksic had to say. So this seems to be kind of like a running institution, so to say, for the elites coming there to treat their ailments. Um, but very interestingly, this case with the makeup artist is actually really strange because it seems like this shamanic couple organizes some kind of retreat where they invite people to come. And this retreat kind of went badly for this person. So essentially what happened is this makeup artist was flown over to Mexico to go on a retreat with this weird couple. And the idea is that they would go there and somehow help with spiritual healing, ailments, you name it. And what happened, according to her report, is that Already in the first couple of days, the couple started getting drunk on tequila and brought all of these like real shamans from Peru and Mexico and started being kind of aggressive and violent towards this makeup artist. And one of the main reasons why they wanted to go there is so that they could do this ritual that actually involves toad venom. So that's something that you know, was the acclaimed cause of the death of Alexander Subotin. But this ritual called Cambo is actually comprised of making incisions or burns on a person's skin and then adding this toad venom, which kind of like creates convulsions, vomiting, 
And after that, you feel kind of like spiritual enlightenment or healing. If you survive. <laughs> if you survive, yeah. Because uh, people have died, actually, by, you know, the wrong use or just irresponsible use of this combo ritual. But what happened to this person is she noticed that, okay, things are dodgy. This is weird. They're becoming really aggressive and drunk. So she called her husband and she tried to leave the retreat. But when she tried to do that, the couple allegedly beat her up. And then when she wanted to go to the police and report what happened, the couple basically like blackmailed her and claimed that they're going to either kill her with different drugs and chemicals and also that they have many enemies that they know how to eliminate very easily. So nothing really happened in this case, but it's, it's out there and it's been documented. Mm. They're probably making quite a bit of money, right? I mean, Sobotchin himself was an out-and-out billionaire, an oil baron, essentially. They must be making quite a lot of money to be in these circles. Yeah, totally. I mean, I'm, I'm certain. And also from the reports that exist, it sounds like a lot of different, very VIP, wealthy people were mingling in this house and coming and going. So they must be making bank. Right. So on one hand, I'm thinking, well, this might actually just be a coincidence. It's a case of misadventure. For some reason, this Russian billionaire went to this weird dodgy ritual. Yes, his company has ties to the Kremlin, but maybe this one was a coincidence. Why would they kill him with frog venom? But there is a history, right, in Russia of people being knocked off, assassinated with strange poisons, strange concoctions. Yeah, absolutely. This is actually a famous phenomenon <laughs> called the Liternoe or like Liternoe assassinations. So as we know, in the Putin era, we've seen a lot of these strange poisonings and murders of different political opponents and writers. But in Stalinist Russia, these types of killings were specifically framed as Liternoe killings. And they were secret, disguised liquidations that were often staged to be natural deaths or suicides. So the NKVD, which was the Soviet Union's interior ministry, um, their de facto Walter Krivitsky, who killed many for Stalin and then was himself murdered in a fake suicide, he said that any fool could murder someone, but it takes a true artist to stage a natural death from disease or suicide. Yeah, I don't think it's a stretch, particularly if we look at, for example, uh, Alexander Litvinenko was poisoned for essentially writing that book, Blowing Up Russia. Various people infected with polonium put into their tea. I don't think it's a stretch, personally, to think, yeah, perhaps Putin has tried to carry that on. Yeah, totally. But really, for this shaman case, I'm really not sure what to think. There's so many weird coincidences, but it does look pretty possible as well because there's already documented cases of people dying specifically from this but then the question is did someone manipulate the ritual did someone know exactly what kind of venom to use because if you use the venom of a different frog you can kill people much easily so if you just tweak certain elements in there or just you know slide another drug to this person it's easy to kill but then why would they kill him? That's the question. That is the question. If Alexander Sabotchin was killed and this wasn't just some weird shamanic accident, who killed him and why? Is there an obvious motive? 
Dream Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. For most of his life, Alexander Sobotchin managed to keep his name out of the media. He enjoyed his privacy. Not much is known about his early career, but after completing his PhD in 2009, Sobotchin joined multinational energy corporation Lukoil. His brother also worked there. By the time of Alexander Sobotchin's death in 2022, he was a member of the board. That's a prestigious position to have, considering how much money the company makes. Lukoil, which is headquartered in Moscow, produces more than 2% of all the world's oil and around 1% of proved hydrocarbon reserves. They refine more than a million barrels of oil a day and employ over 100,000 people. This is a massive operation that's been going since 1991. A Russian corporation with this much clout 
naturally has links to the Russian government. One of the more direct links, perhaps, is Russian oligarch Vajit Alekperov. Alekperov, who's of Aziri descent, was the president of Luke Oil from 1993 to 2022. He's worth an estimated 19 billion US dollars and is believed to be the fifth richest man in Russia. Now, as I mentioned in episode one, some of the rich dead Russian businessmen in this series are not necessarily oligarch oligarchs. Alekperov, however, is 100% an oligarch oligarch. He's in the top 100 of the richest people on earth and had a 28.3% stake of Luke Oil as of 2022. What's more, he's friends with Putin and was sanctioned by Britain when Russia invaded Ukraine in February last year. In a statement from the British government's official sanctions list, they said, quote, Through his directorship of Luke Oil, Alekperov continues to obtain a benefit from and or continues to support the government of Russia by working as a director trustee or equivalent of entities carrying on business in sectors of strategic significance to the government of Russia, namely the Russian energy sector. End quote. Archived copies of Lukoil's tax payments to the Kremlin, seen by journalist Rob Davies, show that the company contributed more than $6 billion to the Kremlin in 2020 alone. Tax documents after that are not available. In April 2022, Alek Perov stepped down as the president of Lukoil due to the sanctions issues. Before this, there'd already been trouble. After Russia's invasion of Ukraine, Lukoil's London-listed shares lost roughly 99% of their value. That's a hell of a lot of money. War at that time was definitely not good for business for Lukoil. So much so that they broke ranks with Putin after more than 20 years. Board of Directors of Lukoil, which Alexander Sobotchin was part of, released a public statement on March 3rd, 2022, condemning Russia's invasion of Ukraine, just one week after it started. For Putin, that must have been a slap in the face. Sobotchin was still alive at this time and would have been involved in the statement. The board said the following, quote, The board of directors of Lukoil expresses its deepest concerns about the tragic events in Ukraine calling for the soonest termination of the armed conflict, we express our sincere empathy for all victims who are affected by this tragedy. We strongly support a lasting ceasefire and a settlement of problems through serious negotiations and diplomacy. The company makes every effort to continue its operations in all countries and regions where it is present, committed to its primary mission of a reliable supplier of energy to consumers around the world. In its activities, Lukoil aspires to contribute to peace, international relations and humanitarian ties. End quote. Now, honestly, I doubt the board of directors of Lukoil care at all about Ukraine, really, but they clearly do care about the company's profit margins. The war began to seriously disrupt that at the time of their statement, 
However, more than a year after the invasion, Lukoil has managed to weather the storm. As reported by journalist Victor Jack, Lukoil is still actually operating hundreds of gas stations and oil refineries in the EU. This made them a net profit of $8 billion within the first nine months of 2022, when Russia was, of course, actively trying to destroy Ukraine. That's more than double the amount from the same time period in 2021. So Lukoil actually made more money as the war went on partially facilitated by their work in the EU. This money was, of course, shared with the Kremlin via taxes and no doubt helped them to manufacture and purchase new weapons for their continued attacks on Ukraine. Either way, despite securing the bag later on in the year, Lukoil went against Putin publicly as the whole world had its eyes on Russia and Ukraine. Even as a powerful billionaire in Russia, it's not wise to go against the Kremlin. For me, after looking at all of this information, this leaves two possible theories regarding the death of Alexander Sobotchin. First theory, he was a very rich alcoholic who, like many Russian elites, decided to enlist the help of the neo-shamans to kick his habit and get sober. In the process, a dodgy ritual with frog venom ended his life by accident. Essentially, death by misadventure and two grifters who messed up the concoctions. The timing of the death, Sobotchin's position at Luke Oil and their very public defiance to Putin is all just a coincidence. As they say, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Second theory. Alexander Sobotchin was on the board at Lukoil when they released the statement against Putin's war on Ukraine. Maybe he was instrumental in that statement. Perhaps Putin wanted him gone because of this. It'd be easy for Putin's people to gather information on Sobotchin. Maybe they waited for a few months, heard about the shamanic ritual, and decided now was the time. Maybe they had the frog venom swapped for something more potent. Or maybe the shamans were in their pocket and they told them to simply up the dose. Now, personally, I was a lot more inclined to believe the first theory. Misadventure seemed more likely. Then, as me and Sergi continued our research, we saw that another board member of Lukoil died just four months after Alexander Sobotchin. His name was Ravil Maganov. He was the 67-year-old chairman of Lukoil. In September 2022, he fell out of a window at a hospital in Moscow. In a public statement, Lukoil simply said that Maganov passed away of, quote, a severe illness, with no mention about the fall. We'll be looking into the death of Maganov later on in the series. But I think, at the very least, it makes Alexander Sobotchin's death a bit more suspicious. Sad Oligarch is a H11 production for Coolzone Media and iHeartRadio. Hosted, produced, researched and edited by me, Jake Hanrahan 
and Sergi Slipchenko. Co-produced by Sophie Lichterman. Music by Sam Black. Artwork by Adam Doyle. Sound mix by Splicing Block. Go to jakehanrahan.com for more information. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., And I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right. 